Community Church exists to shine as light in our homes, in our community, and in our world. To contact us or for more information, see our website at wildwoodchurch.org. My name is Jeremy Horton. I'm the college pastor here at Wildwood, and this is my family. Um, my wife, Michelle, she is a great encouragement, a, a love of my life. Obviously, she allows us to do ministry in, in amazing, amazing ways. And so we've been married now a little over six years. Uh, our, our oldest daughter is Chloe Faith. She is uh, almost two and a half years now, and so that kind of blows my mind a little bit. And then we have uh, my, our newest addition, Edison Josiah, who is uh, a handful, but we love every bit about them. And so they're kind of where we're at now. We're kind of going through the growing pains of what it means to be a family who is trying to walk into and live into uh, Christ and, and how we can model that for our kids. And that, that often means we have to apologize and we have to say, uh, mom and dad did not do what we were supposed to do in these moments. And so it's been a humbling and uh, a trying time for us, but we wouldn't change it at all. And so that's my family. Uh, what I do here is I'm the college pastor. So obviously I work with college students. And so our uh, college ministry primarily meets at 9.30 on Sunday mornings downstairs. And so if you're a college student, you know a college student, or you're looking for me on a Sunday morning, that's generally where you will find me is downstairs at 9.30. And so uh, we, we just have a time of worship, a time in the Word together, a time of fellowship. And then we're, uh, we try to funnel the majority of our students into small groups because we believe that's where life begins to happen. We believe that's where uh, uh, growth really begins to happen and shaping. So we uh, that's kind of what we do. And, and my wife and I, man, we're, we're thankful to get to be a part of this body. We've had some opportunities over this last year to transition out of Wildwood into some different roles and some different opportunities. But as we pray about it, man, I just want you guys to know that we love college students. We love college ministry. For my wife and I, it was a time for us as college students when we were at Texas A&M University that that's where God got a hold of our lives. And because of adults, because of a church that we were involved in, because of the adults within there, kind of wrapped us in their arms. We were just transformed because of it. And so we have a passion for college students. We love what we're doing. And to be honest with you, I love the guys I work with. Each of the pastors here have a different characteristic, a different attribute of Christ, and I'm challenged each and every day, and we love that. And then we love being a part of a body where you guys care about college students. You invest resources into equipping them, and then we get excited about sending them out in the world and so that the gospel can go forth from here. And so know that, and we love you guys, we love being here, and I love what I do. So hopefully that's an encouragement to you as it's an encouragement to me. Uh, I want to start this morning before we dive into the time and word, with just a, a, a confession. And the confession is simply this. I'm absolutely terrified right now. I am scared to death to be on this stage. I mean, this is, this is Bruce Hessland. I mean, that's big shoes. And so I'm absolutely terrified. It's not one of these fears where, like, I moved from that chair up here, and then all of a sudden I realized that you guys were here, and I wasn't alone, and then I got scared. It's a fear that has been kind of welling up in me over the course of this week. And to be honest with you, it climaxed uh, kind of between, it was Thursday morning, about 4.30 a.m., I woke up, and my chest was as tight as it's ever been. I thought I was going to throw up, and I realized, you know what, I can't do this. I'm just not the guy for it. I appreciate the opportunity, Bruce. I was going to go into his office and say, hey, thanks. I'm glad that you uh, thought I could do it, but I can't. 
And uh, I rolled over, I touched my wife, and I said, Michelle, I, I, can't, I can't do it. And she goes, well, you can't do what? I said, I can't teach. She goes, why, why can't you teach? I tell her, well, I'm afraid. She goes, well, what, what are you afraid of, Jeremy? I said, well, I'm afraid of what most of us would be afraid of as you're standing. And I'm afraid of train wrecking, nosediving, just making a fool out of myself. I'm afraid of this. And she said this statement to me. And this is my wife, I love her at 4.30 in the morning and divine inspiration coming through my wife. She says, well, what's the worst thing that will happen if you train wreck? What's the worst thing that will happen if you nosedive in front of everything? What is the worst thing that will happen? And it's in that question, it's in that statement that she made to me that I began a journey of thinking through, well, what is that for me? And it's kind of taken us, and God used that to kind of direct where we're going this morning. And this morning, what I'd like us to do is we just spend some time in the Word looking at what it means to set our minds on Christ. What does that mean to set our minds on Christ, that He gives us all our security, that He gives us all our confidence, that He gives us everything, our worth, our value, our significance? What does it mean for us to set our minds on Christ? How do we do that? And what is the impact on our lives if we do that? And so I want to look at it both individually, what is that impact for us, what does that look like for us to do it, and I want to look at it collectively is how does God use the body of Christ to help us usher in towards setting our mind on Christ. So if you've got your Bibles, and I hope you do, we're going to be in Romans chapter 8. This is going to be the text that we're in. It's going to provide the framework for us. Now obviously I'm not going to unpack all of Romans chapter 8 because I only have a little bit amount of time. We're going to hone into some verses 5, 6, and 7 specifically, but I want to read the context because I think context is so crucial for us understanding the Word of God. And so as you turn there, let me just, let me pray for us our time in the Word together. Father, I pray for these moments as we gather around your Word pray as we open up your word that we would be also opening up our hearts. God, I pray that we would allow you to go to work. I pray if there's things that we're holding on to that we need to let go of, if there's passions, desires, uh, uh, ideas, concerns, worries, frustrations, anxieties that are not of you, that we would let go of them this morning. Lord, and I pray if there's things in this text and the things in this word um, that you have for us that we would grab onto them. God, and ultimately I pray that you would change us. Your word is good, it is nourishment to our souls, it is both milk and meat, and I pray that we would um, rest upon it, we would feed on it, and we would be nourished by it, and that we would live changed people. If you would, I mean, I'd love for you to pray for a moment, maybe that's what you pray, is God open my heart, I don't, I don't really want to be here, but I'm here, I've got other stuff going on that is distracting me, maybe it's just a prayer of God help me focus. Maybe this is the first time this week that you've been able to sit alone and quiet or, and, and just reflect on God. And so maybe your prayer is, God, here I am. Do what you want. Pray for your heart for just a moment. And if you would pray for me, it's not about me, it's Christ through me, and that his spirit will speak truth 
in life. Lord, we thank you. We love you. You do your work in and through us. In your name we pray. Amen. Okay, Romans chapter 8. This is where we're going to be. I'm going to start in verse 1. You've got your Bibles. Follow along with me. I'm going to read the text starting in verse 1. We're going to skip around just a little bit in this text. And remember, when we get down to 5, 6, and 7, this is going to be like our focus verses. And really, there's a a phrase within these verses that we're going to unpack together. Romans chapter 8, starting in verse 1, it says this. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. By sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Now, here's our, our verses I want us to really think about. There. There's a phrase in here, it's set their mind on. I want us to pick up on this phrase, because that's really where we're going or getting at this morning. Verse 5, For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Skip down to verse 30. It says, what then shall we say? Verse 31. What then shall we say to these things? The things of what it means to live into the Spirit. What it means to be transformed by His image. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all. How will it not that he will also graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is it to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised? Who is at the right hand of God? Who is indeed interceding on our behalf? Verse 35, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? Verse 37, no, none of these things and all these things. We are more than conquerors through him who loved us. So this is our framework that we're working in this morning. Now I want us to go back and look at verses 5, 6, and 7 because Paul will begin to paint a picture of this tug-of-war that is happening within each each and every one of our lives this morning. There's this thing that goes on where there's a shifting of what is our mind set on. And Paul will really paint that there's two different things that we can look at. We have the opportunity to look at the flesh Or we have the opportunity to look at the Spirit. And then he will tell us that there is an impact of which one of these choices we make. He will say that the impact of looking at the flesh is you are hostile to God. He will say the impact of looking at the Spirit, he will say, is life and peace. And so I want us to look at, okay, this is the reality. How do we set our minds on Christ? How do we set our minds on the Spirit? And before we can go there, I want us to talk about how it is that we receive the Spirit through Jesus Christ, who now gives us a relationship with God, so that now we are in community with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Because if we don't understand this, then we'll never understand why are we setting our minds on Him. And this is what we call the gospel. Now, the gospel, there's this big shift over the last five years to gospel centrality, and it means all things to all kinds of different people. And so what I want to do is just kind of lay it out as the baseline for us, because for us to understand this will impact our understanding of why we're setting our minds on Christ. Are you with me? So here's what I 
believe the gospel to be. Now, this is a metaphor. It's not literal, so don't get me wrong here. This is a metaphor. This is what I believe the gospel to be. The gospel is Jesus Christ coming incarnate. He's in the flesh. He's here in human form. Jesus Christ, the second person of the Trinity, has now come to earth, and when he gets here, he essentially draws a circle around himself and says, everyone outside of me is broken and fallen away from me. Everyone. Religious, non-religious, everyone. They're all equal. And then he will say, you're not like me. You've all fallen short of the glory of God. You've all sinned. You've all gone your own way. You're completely and totally depraved. There's nothing you can do to get back in relationship with me, the Father, or the Spirit. But then he'll say, this is the good news. Here's the good news. I'm not. I'm not broken. I'm not fallen away. I'm in perfect relationship with the Father and the Spirit. We have a perfect relationship together. We are in complete unity. We're not arguing. We're not trying to one-up each other. We're not trying to stab each other in the back. We're not throwing dishes at each other. We don't do that. Why? Because we're in perfect relationship with each other. We're in complete unity together. And so he will say, here's the deal. Because you're not in that relationship, because you're outside of it, because you've gone your own way, the only way for you to get back in relationship with me receive the Spirit, and have relationship with God, the only way for you to do this, and again, this is a metaphor, don't go romantic on me, the only way for you to do this is to marry me. The only way for you to get back in relationship with the Father, Son, and Spirit is through me. You have to bind yourselves to me. We have to be one together. And so when, the, when, when God looks at you and says, why should I accept you, you don't say, well, uh, Jesus is a good guy. I liked him. I, I, I set my life on him. You don't say, well, I went to church or I'm a good person. You don't do any of that because it doesn't matter because he looks at you and he sees Christ. He sees me. We are bound together in Christ. Now, here's the struggle for us. Hang with me. Here's the struggle that we have. I don't think our struggle is necessarily understanding the redemption process. I don't think that's our problem. I think we understand that if you look out into the world, man, humanity is running amok and there is sin. You see it every day. Just flip on the news. I can't watch the news because of it. You, you, you know it's there. So we understand that we are evil and that we will turn against ourselves and that we will move out for our own desires. We get that. And we understand that we need someone to step in on our behalf. This is a rescue that we just sang, right? We understand that he has to come and Christ will atone for our sins through his death on the cross and for his resurrection. Now we have life with him. We get that. Here's where our struggle is. Here's where my struggle is. Our struggle is how do we live into that? See, I think we get it. I think we get salvation. I think we understand that Christ is now atoned for us. Now we're in relationship with him. And then we just kind of move out and we think we have to pay God back for everything he does. We, we need him to bless us, so I'm going to get in the word. I need him to work in my life or help me with this decision, so I'm going to start going to church. I need him to do this, this, and this. And we forget that there's nothing we can do. It is through Christ. And so this is what Paul will say to us. He will say, set your mind on Christ because there's nothing you can do. And the impact of that is either life and peace or death. And he will say, set it there. And so Christ will give us the Spirit who will help us in those times because we're running amok. 
the Spirit will simply move our chin back in the direction of God and that we will be in relationship with Him. This is why Paul says this time and time again, five and six. He will say it five times, set their mind on it. He will say, for those who live according to the flesh, set their minds on the things of the flesh. For those who live according to the Spirit, set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death. He says, it's foolish, don't do it. But to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. Paul is like the coach. I envision him this way often as I read uh, the Pauline epistles and, and watch him kind of coach me from the sideline. He will, is coming around side of us and is simply saying, hey, set your mind on Christ. Keep going. Keep focusing here. But the reality, if you're anything like me, is we don't. We have such a hard time with this. And I want us to look at real quickly why. What is our problem? Why can't we just accept that truth and say, here is life, here is death, let's go after it. And this is what I love about the scripture. Man, this is where, this is where the Bible, man, I don't know how you, you can't believe it. The Bible will lay out a personality trait for us in Genesis 2 and 3. And the personality trait is simply this. You and I need someone outside of us to tell us who we are. You and I need someone outside of us to tell us that we matter, that we're significant, that we contribute to the world, to society, to our families, to life, that, that there is a reason for us being here. We can't really look in the mirror and say, I'm a good person, I'm a good person, I'm a good person, and leave and think, I'm a good person. It doesn't work that way. We are created in such a way that someone outside of us has to speak significance into our life. And amazingly, we were created that way. The reason I know this is Genesis 2 and 3, as I I just referred to. The reason I know this is because Moses will say, in Genesis 2 and 3, he will make this statement. He will say, in a relationship with God, this is pre-fall here, in a relationship with God, you and I were naked and unashamed. Moses says, before the fall, you and I were naked and unashamed. What's he saying in that? He is saying that Adam and Eve were having so much significance spoken into their life, having so much worth spoken into their life, having so much values and and everything that they need is coming from God that they were hardly self-aware. They weren't looking at each other and saying, well, you need this, you need this, you need this. It just didn't happen because God was speaking into their life. Now, I don't know about you, but when I'm naked, I know I'm naked. Just reality. I've never been in a grocery store and standing at the checkout counter, feel a slight draft and look down and think, I've forgotten everything. It's, it's just never happened. But here in a relationship with God, pre-fall, we see this relationship taking place. And I want us to think for a moment, what would it take for you and I to be in an intimate relationship with someone else where we were completely and totally exposed. They knew everything about us. They knew the deepest, darkest secrets about us. They knew our hopes, passions, desires. They knew our pitfalls. They knew everything. We were completely and totally exposed, but we were comfortable in that relationship. What would that take for you? Think about that for a second. Here's what it would take for me. There's probably going to have to be a lot of trust. 
right? I'm going to need them to, to, I'm going to need to trust them that they have uh, my best intentions at heart. I'm going to need to trust them that they're not going to take this information, information outside of our relationship. I'm going to have to trust that they care more about me than they do themselves. It's going to have to be a high level of trust. There's probably going to have to be a, a bit of honesty, right? Because if I'm not honest with them, then they're not going to know who I am, right? I can still be myself in this. There's probably going to have to be a level of security, protection. I know they are for me. And then maybe years and years after all of this plays out, maybe I will be to a place where I'm completely and totally exposed and vulnerable towards this person. Maybe. And this is the relationship that Adam and Eve have with God pre-fall times affinity. This is the relationship that they're walking in. But it's gone now. It's broken. Why? Well, they took their eyes off of Christ, right? They took their eyes off the relationship, the value, the worth, the significance that they have in God, and they look to each other. And what's the first thing they do? They put on clothes. They get dressed. Why? They're looking at each other now. There's shame. And that's the world in which we are now living into. We are now living into the reality that if our eyes are not focused on God, if our eyes are not focused on Christ, if the Spirit is not at work in us, shifting our eyes back to Him, we will continue to look at each other to find our worth. We will look to each other and say, hey, do I matter? Do I have worth? Am I valuable? Do you love me? Questions that we were never supposed to ask each other. Why? Because God was speaking that into our lives. And so now we live in that, and so I come to you and say, hey, how can I matter? How can I be significant? How, how can I have worth or contribute to our world? And you're like, well, I think strength matters. And so I go to the gym, I get all swelled up, and I come back to you, and I say, now do I matter? And you're like, yeah, 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 you've got a lot of strength, that's good. But you're kind of pale, and so you need to go get some tan going on, right? And so then I go to the tanning salon, and I'm like, okay, now do I matter? Am I good? And this is what we do. But we do it in all facets of our life, right? We do it in our awards. We do it in our prestige. We do it in our promotions. We do it in our possessions. Why? Because we are looking to each other, trying to say, am I worth it? Am I valuable? And this is the relationship that we are speaking into. It's funny. I, uh, this, is, this is actually a really bad story, um, but I'm going to tell. It, here's, here's a trick. Uh, I'm just going to be honest with you. If you tell people that it's a bad story and then it's a halfway decent story, it actually becomes a really good story. And so I always try to set the bar really low. So this is a terrible story, all right? You're not going to like it. Uh, so I'm on a plane ride to Moscow, Russia with a group of friends of mine, all right? Now, if you've never been on a plane ride to Moscow, Russia, it's a really long plane ride, about 14 hours. So, there's a lot of things that you can do on this plane ride. You can uh, study the Bible, you can pray, you can sleep, you can watch movies, you can uh, do all kinds of things. What we decide to do is there's a card game that one of us brought. And we decide, you know what, we're going to play this card game. And we played it. 
14 hours straight. We're, we're figuring it out. We're figuring out how we can play the game to win. We're figuring out how to manipulate each other in this game. We're figuring out, okay, this is how you win. This is my strategy. This is how I'm going to go after it. And we're playing, and we're, we're, we're getting really, really good at it, so much so that we begin to keep score, right? Because you've got to keep score because how do we know who's the best at it, right? Again, where's our significance? Game, right? So we're playing this. We get off the plane. All our free time in Moscow, Russia is spent playing this game, continuing to keep score. In fact, he would wake me up because he had jet lag. I, I do all right, but he'd wake me up at four in the morning. Hey, let's play. Let's do this. And so we'd play this game, and we got really good at it. So we get back on the plane. We're headed back to the States. We have a friend that is on this plane trip with us. Now, he was the guy that, you know, when you start playing a game and you like it, there's always that person who is like, no, no, no I'm not going to play it. I'm, I'm, I, you know, I'm not into games. I don't like cards. Well, he was that guy. But on the way back, he was like, uh, yeah, I want to play. Now, if you've ever been invested in a game, if you've ever played a game and you've gotten really good at it, especially if there's a couple of you, you know that the new guy doesn't stand a chance, does he? No. And so it took maybe one or two games for him to realize, I'm not going to win. There's no way that I can win. And so he changed the rules for him. He switched the game up. Here's what he did. He's decided that the game was now not about him winning or beating us. The game was now about keeping Jeremy from winning. So in his mind... He wins if I don't win. And he would say things like, well, I didn't win, but neither did you, so I won. Like, no, you didn't win. That's not the game. And so he would do this over and over and over again, right? And so I'm playing, and, and now I'm, I'm starting to get really frustrated and agitated at it, but I'm like, no, no, I'm going to rise up, and, and when I finally do beat it, I'm done. I'm going to be triumphant. I've got Rocky going on in the back of my mind. I'm, I'm like, I'm ready to go. And so we're playing, and, we're, and I'm fixing to win. This is, I'm a move away from winning. But he has to go in front of me. He plays this card. There, it's, it's really hard to get this card. There's very few of them. He has it. And he throws this card down. And essentially what this card does is it sets me back to ground zero. It sets me back at the beginning. And I went crazy. Uh, uh, now, mind you, I'm on an airplane. I went nuts. I was so frustrated. I was so enraged that I threw my cards off my table in front of me. I slammed up the tray. I looked over. He has a drink. There's nothing in it, but there's ice in it. I grab the drink, and I throw it at him. And I storm off, because, I mean, I stormed off to the bathroom, because where am I going to go, right? I mean, we're on an airplane. Now, I've, I've got to confess, it didn't really happen. The game happened, and I was enraged, but I didn't throw the drink at him. I was... Uh, I, I did do some slamming and some fist pumping, and the guy who, who we've been playing a whole lot of actually was starting to feel really, really uncomfortable, and so we stopped playing. But anyways, but what is going on in that moment? What is going on in that moment? I've taken my worth. I've taken my value. I've taken everything that Christ is speaking into my life, telling me who I am, telling I'm significant, telling me it's just a game, Jeremy, don't worry about it. I've taken all of that and I've returned to sin. I've taken my eyes away from God and I've put them back on the flesh. And this is what we do. And we do it over and over and over again. In all various facets of our lives. I mean, think about it. Why do we have road rage? 
someone cuts you off, and so now you are mad because what have they done? They've taken some significance from you. They've taken value. Oh, you need that spot more than I do. Oh, you need to get to work 20 minutes, 20 seconds before I do. And so what do we do? We honk our horns and flash our lights like that's going to show them we're significant. No, I'm significant. Flash my lights, right? It, it doesn't work that way, but that's what we do. Why do we, why do we get in arguments? I argue with my wife, and, and sometimes I know I'm wrong, but I continue to argue. Why? Because I want to win. I've taken my eyes off of Christ and what he's doing. And I put them on the world and what the world tells me. Why do guys work 100-hour weeks so they can get that promotion so that someone will look at them and say, oh, now you're significant because you have this title. And maybe it's not the title, maybe it's the money. Well, I'm significant because I drive this. I'm significant because I have this house. I'm significant because my family goes on this vacation, right? We all do it in various ways. For students, it may be, I have this scholarship, I got this grade, I have this internship. That's where our value is. And when we do that, hear me, we are taking our eyes off of Christ and we're putting it on this. And this is what Christ says, I'm here to free you from. He says, now I'm here, and when you bind yourself back into relationship, you are free from this game. You don't have to play it anymore. We don't have to be anxious. We don't have to be fearful. We don't have to worry about what people think about this or that. Why? It doesn't matter because we're in relationship with God and He is speaking that into our lives. And this is what Paul is saying. Hey, you have the Spirit. I want you to push into this. I want you to understand this. That when you set your eyes on the Spirit, you have life and peace Why? Because he's speaking significance into your life. And when you pull them off, you are hostile towards what God's doing, right? I mean, haven't you been in an argument and you know you need to ask for forgiveness, but you don't want to do it? God is about forgiveness, and so we don't want to do it. Why? Because we're hostile towards it. Paul says, hey, set your mind on the Spirit. So impact number one that I want you to see and I want us to see together is that we have an opportunity to daily moment by moment, set our minds on Christ, that he has given that opportunity through a relationship with him, and we are now free from the game. We're free from the game. So what does that mean for us community? What does that mean for us as a body of believers to gather around each other, to push us back towards Christ, to push our eyes towards him? What does that look like? Well, read with me in verse 31. By the way, this is just a subset. I I didn't bring up OU football for your significance because I didn't want people to throw things at me, but it doesn't matter. It's a game. Now people are angry. Verse 31. What then shall we say now that we understand that uh, we are in relationship with Christ, now we understand that it is through the Spirit that our eyes are fixated on Him and that He is speaking life and value into us? What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all, how will He not also in Him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? Not the guy next to you. Not the guy you work for. Not the friend of yours. Is God who justifies? 
who is to condemn us? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised? Who is at the right hand of God? Who indeed is interceding for us? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No. None of these things. No fears, no anxieties, no persecution of what people think of you. None of these things shall separate us. And in all these things, we are more than conquerors in him who loved us. What does that mean for us in community? Well, as we begin to walk in community, we have to first acknowledge that we are all playing this game. We all enter into what the world says, hey, you need to look at this. Your significance is going to be here. You need to do this. This is where you will matter. We all understand that that is at work, and so we'll come alongside of each other and say, hey, it's not about that. It's about Christ and how he is moving in your life. How is he moving in your life? And we begin to encourage each other towards that. So it means that I'm frustrated with a situation that's going on in my life. And I, I can't stand it. I, I, I'm, I'm just, I'm a loss for words of it. And I have a guy who comes alongside of me and say, hey, why are you really frustrated? Well, this guy thinks this about me. Does it matter? What's going on in this moment? Where are my eyes? Are they on Christ or are they on myself? Maybe it's in our decision making. Maybe we're making a decision and we're like, okay, I need to go this way or not. I don't know what's going on. Well, ask the simple question. Again, community comes alongside of you and says, hey, where are your eyes? Will this decision, if you make it, promote a continued connection with Christ or will it draw you away from Christ? Community begins to speak that into us. Could be arguments, could be worth, could be any number of things, but that's the whole value of community coming around each other and saying, hey, this is where our eyes need to be. But in order for us to speak this truth in our lives, we have to first understand our eyes matter. Where they're set matters. Because if you come to me and, and you say, hey, Jeremy, where are your eyes? They should be on Christ. I'm like, man, who are you? Because I didn't first understand that that matters. And that's why this text is so important to us. Go back to the story I told you um, previously where my wife is in bed with me and we are uh, having this conversation. I tell her I'm, I'm afraid. She says, well, what are you afraid of? I'm like, well, nose diving, uh, train wrecking, making a fool out of myself. You know, I'm, I'm terrified. And she goes, well, what's the worst thing that can happen? You know what I said to her? Well, people will think. What's going on right then? Where are my eyes? My eyes are no longer on the opportunity to share how Christ is working in my life, the opportunity to share his word with the community of believers. It's no longer on that, but it's about me. And it's about building myself up so that you think I'm, I'm worthy of something. Worthy of what? I don't know. But that I matter. And you know what she said to me? She says, Jeremy, you have a family who loves you. You have a community group that cares, supports, values you. You're a part of a believing community, a church that is invested in you so much so that they want to give you the opportunities to stand before and share what God is doing. What did she do in that moment? Spoke community into my life, right? Says, Jeremy, where are your eyes? How are we running together? 
And she pushed me back there. She took it and gently shifted my eyes back to what? The Spirit. And when we begin to understand this concept, and at this point I kind of want to invite our worship team back as we close because this song I think is instrumental, uh, no pun intended, but uh, it will uh, help us in pushing our eyes back. It will be a great time for us. But as we close, I want us to look at how Paul closes this section out. He says in verse 37, Now in all these things we are more than conquerors. Who? We. Not you. Not I. We, together in community, now that we have trusted Christ, now that we are in relationship with Him, now that we understand that the game is not about what the world says it is, it's about putting our eyes on Him and allowing Him to work in us, we are more than conquerors. Maybe you need to hear that this morning. Maybe it's an opportunity for you to be in community. That's why we have things like the city. We want us to interact. We want us to hear things that are going on within us. That's why we have adult fellowship groups. That's why we have community groups. That's why this morning, if you're a college student, we're having an opportunity for you to have uh, an info on our small group system. Why? Because that community is where we will be more than conquerors. So when I go and say, well, I want to go on this mission trip, but I don't know that how God is going to pay for it. Community says, hey, it's not about you. It's about God. And in Christ, he is more than able could be in a relationship at work. You're fighting. I don't know how he's going to ever forgive me. You're right. He may not. But it's not about that because in Christ you are forgiven. In Christ you are more than a conqueror. And I've got to tell you, man, this happened for me. It happened for me this morning. I was sitting over here waiting for my time. And the... I'm going to use the word devil loosely, but something was going on where doubts, insecurities, what are you doing? What do you have to offer these people? You're just a kid. What do you know? In fact, people in this room know things about me that they would say, man, he's, he shouldn't be up there. I mean, who's he? I had these doubts and insecurities, but you know what? I went back to that passage and said, you know what? You're right, I can't. I don't deserve Christ does. And it's not Jeremy getting up there. It's Christ in me. Christ through me. And Paul says that in that I am more than a conqueror. Maybe that's what you need to hear this morning. We need to both understand the impact of our eyes being fixated on Christ. We need to understand the impact of a a believing community rallying around and getting in close relationship with each other. And we need to understand that it matters where our eyes are. And so we're going to close with an amazing, amazing song. It's probably one of my uh, top ten. But it's a song, simply, it's Hosanna. And if you listen to these words, we will transition in a moment where all of the world stops and they look at Christ coming back. Their eyes are transfixed on Him. Man, that's my prayer for us this morning. May our eyes be focused on Him. And may that change us. Let's worship together. Thanks, Jeremy. Would you please stand and join us?